Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Eric Dietrich, the founder of Hit Subscribe. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Hey, my pleasure. I think, in fact, you've been on before. You're a returning guest, and we. I don't. Am I? Yeah, I think so. And oh, I, apologies. <laughs> it's hard to tell because we we're also uh, panelists on the freelancer show. So right. Um, it's it's on the internet airwaves somewhere, folks. If you want to check back. But today, uh, we want to talk about hourly billing being nuts in the context of Eric's business, Hit Subscribe. So for folks who maybe haven't encountered you before, could you give them a little background about yourself and what Hit Subscribe is, and then we'll have context for to, to discuss how bad hourly billing is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so briefly, my career involved uh, software engineering, like application development. I did that for years as a salaried software engineer, kind of worked my way up through management. Um, my last salaried role was a CIO. Then I went off on my own and started doing um, – kind of various flavors of consulting, a little bit of app dev, um, but I started to do management and strategy consulting and developer training. Um, and then that all kind of fed into the background. So, you know, I was in and around the software world for a long, long time until I, I was laugh when I say this, but like naturally in the last two years, I run a content marketing agency. Um, but <laughs> what happened was during that time when I was doing all this traveling management consulting and just in hotel rooms at night, I like to blog. And the more I would blog, companies would reach out to me and ask if I would write for their um, uh, tool or, or SAT blog. And so after enough requests like that, um, Amanda, my wife and I thought we could turn this into a, a pretty nice lifestyle business where I could get off of the road of corporate travel and um, start uh, doing this kind of remote work. And, and that turned out to work you know, better than either of us anticipated. So two years after founding that, it's our full-time dedication. So I feel like I have to kind of give a lot more background to sort of indicate where I've been and how immersed in the software world I've been um, in order for like that to make sense. Like I'm not historically a marketer. Right, right. Yeah, it's an interesting path. I think it's especially going to be interesting to folks who listen to this because it's not just, you know, it's not like straight to marketing or uh, it's interesting to see a software developer, you know, Go over to the dark side, if you will. <laughs> um, but so tell tell me a little bit about the kinds of products and services you offer at uh, Hit Subscribe. We it's generally flavors of content. So our bread and butter is that we offer blog content, and mm. that comes in a couple of forms. Like we can do a la carte, like write a blog post for you, or we'll do kind of batches of blog posts. You come to us and say. Um, you know, we've got a pretty good blog engine going, but we'd like to supplement our content. Can you provide us with 20 posts, you know, as soon as you can deliver them? Mm -hmm. That's the most common, um, or that's the most like easy to understand. We also have a model where we call it turnkey and you just hand the keys over to your blog. And then we run that like a traditional blog, like publishing one or two articles a week for you and, and kind of taking care of everything. So we have a, a monthly model for the blog and then kind of an a la carte or bulk model for blog posts. And then with other forms of content, like we'll do webinars, um, videos, uh, white papers, ebooks, all of these are things that we've done. And those are a little more like a la carte, you know, nobody's looking for like a weekly white paper or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so basically, you know, we tell our clients, if you're wondering if we can do it, err on the side of asking us, we're happy to beta something with you. But, um, all of this is content and we have philosophically grown the business by pricing that flat so that it's predictable for clients. Uh, that's always been important. 
um, it makes the sales conversation a lot easier. Yeah, no kidding. So just to just to make sure that's 100% clear. So when people come to you and they say, um, you know, we want a white paper, you have a price for it. And you just say it's this much. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I've done in terms of building out that pricing structure uh, to make life easier and to make things consistent um, for clients that are wondering about it is generally we're we're flat pricing the content in terms of its length and the reason for that kind of um, has to do with like the way SEO works and that longer articles are going to make you more likely to rank. I mean, there's also the um, the consideration that, you know, there's more labor involved. It takes more to build more content, mm-hmm. but we don't, it, it's not, we're not pricing a blog post by the word. We say that um, like a blog post on average is going to be 12 to 1500 words. And for a regular length blog post, we have this price. If you want something twice as long, it's twice the price. So, mm-hmm. In general, with our content, we kind of start with a unit of blog post, and then we build uh, the price according to, um, you know, do, are you going to ask us for revisions, or will you take the content as is? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it going to be ghostwritten? Because there's a surcharge for that, since, you know, people want their name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this model where you can build a price of any piece of content, and it's never... Um, it's never kind of winging it like there there is a rate sheet, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just out of curiosity, are these are the rates published on your site, or is it something that you usually have a conversation with people about? They're published. Um, uh, we have actually like a pricing calculator widget that I built uh, that I'll send to clients. <laughs> cool. um, so you can go in and you know say I want this option and this option and drag the slider for the amount of words and it'll it'll give you a price. Mm, okay, so so I'm just curious to make sure we have all the context. Does any of your assistance, maybe in the turnkey one, extend to things that are more technical, like you know themes or metadata in the in the blog or blog posts? Or I'm just wondering how technical it gets, or is it really it's really like 99% just writing? It depends on the service level. So our turnkey offering, that's the most popular one. And there we are going to take care of like the technical SEO stuff to do with the blog post. So we'll write a meta description for you, optimize for a keyword. We're also doing the research, um, Mm -hmm. making recommendations based on what you want with your blog um, as KPIs, meaning are you going for a lot of organic traffic? Do you intend to have these posts shared out through your large social network? So based on that, we'll take that information, plan the posts and um, deliver them and kind of do all the required SEO and other optimization. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's at the turnkey level. We do have a lower tier monthly offering where it is just the content. Uh, You can Mm -hmm. give us a keyword and stuff. We'll have the authors optimize for that, but we're not handling stuff in your CMS or anything like that at that level. Right. Okay. Okay, good. So it's, it's very pure, uh, content marketing play. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, uh, as a contrast, we're not doing anything like going into and tweaking your WordPress theme right. or anything like that, supporting your plugins or what have, you know, <laughs> right. that's, yeah, that's <laughs> what I wanted to find out. So you mentioned your authors. So what, to the extent that you can, what does that look like? How many authors do you have? Are they employees, contractors, full-time, how do you pay them? Are they hourly? All those sorts of things. Like, like, cause the, cause the, the question always is, you know, okay, great. You've got these flat rate, you know, things for a, a medium length blog post or, you know, whatever it is per month, X per month to do everything, uh, in terms of writing your blog and building out your content and getting you ranked for, you know, whatever it is they're looking to do. Okay, great. And they just put it sort of set it and forget it. 
But now you've got a predictable, reasonably predictable uh, amount of revenue coming in. And so now it's, okay, what do I do with this money? How do I maximize, how do I spend as little as I can and still satisfy the customers at this level? So how do you, how do you manage that? Because that's where people get nervous when they're not billing by the hour. Um, the way, so first of all, the authors are contractors and almost without exception, I'm, I can maybe say without exception, I'm just trying to think if there's any oddball uh, exception here, but all of them are uh, contractors who have a full-time either salaried job or consulting or freelancing practice. So the, the, the important thing here is that we don't have anybody who's writing for us and that's all they do. Um, and part of that is because our marketing and from where this originated with me, uh, we say that we're helping companies that market to engineers and we do that by having an author workforce that's all engineers. So they're all side hustling contractors and we give them a flat price. Like, so we turn around and say, um, depending on a variety of factors, blog posts, we, we might pay them from a hundred to $400, um, and that's all predictable the same way it's predictable in terms of pricing to our clients. So on the author side, so we have authors, editors, and quality assurance, and we pay the quality assurance and editors, or I'm sorry, and authors on a per post basis. Editors were still doing by the word, but that's still relatively predictable because we know going in roughly how many words it will be. And that's kind of, I think it's hard to uh, pull editors out of that mindset, but um <laughs> yeah, I think that's like very entrenched, but um, it's something, you know, we could revisit too. In, in terms of like looking at our margins and acting as the CFO of the business, I, I absolutely love that, you know, it's almost like manufacturing. Like I have these parts that I assemble and I know what the cost of everything is. So I know what margin is and it makes pricing and negotiation, things like offering volume discounts, super predictable. Like I know exactly what that's going to mean. Hmm. That is something that I think a lot of people would like to have some predictability and fe like a feeling of control. Like that's the thing that really struck me about uh, switching to whatever, whatever kind of flat pricing you're doing, whether it's fixed based on time and materials or fixed based on value, however you calculate your price. Once you have a fixed price, it changes everything about, it changes everything that goes on in your head about a project. It's, it's very different. And you can immediately see that it's going to reward you for being really good and really fast, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of software developers would want. They, they like, well, I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't like uh, feeling a sense of mastery, being really good at your craft, cranking out good stuff, like really good stuff, twice as fast as some, you know, uh, whatever new, coder or new writer or whatever, you know, some sort of junior level person, uh, they can't really, and then it gets, it gets to, in a world like that, you, you're not, you're going to get what you pay for it. There's no race to zero. So like people who are good make more, even if they charge the same as people who aren't good because they can deliver high quality stuff much more quickly. And in, in, I'm trying to think of a case where this isn't true, but pretty much any kind of knowledge work like this time is the main cost. Like they're tiny little expenses here and there, but it's by and large, it's time. So if you can minimize the time and still crank out good stuff, then you've given yourself a raise. You know, if your, if your revenue doesn't go down, 
So, okay. So you mentioned before the show that occasionally clients will come to you and, and propose that they pay you by the hour, if I remember correctly. Um, that hasn't happened in a while. It has historically happened, but like, um, what's more common is for an author or someone that we're subbing to, to oh, want to be paid by the hour. I understand. Now I understand. Um, okay. So I've seen it from both sides. There are, we've have had clients, um, ask about that kind of a while in the past, but like we're established enough that I just say, no, that's not our model. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to keep track of people's hours. We don't even have the infrastructure to do that. Yes. Right. So, in, but it gets, so that's interesting um, that that's interesting that, um, uh, even though I was, I, I heard you wrong at the beginning, it was about authors, not clients, but the, that the, the clients aren't like demanding that they pay you by the hour or by the word. Like they don't, I'm guessing they don't care. They probably like flat rates. Yeah. So on, um, my kind of experience from how this goes on sales calls is it seems that almost without exception, you know, except, you know, for the oddball thing where, where it's been suggested for us to do something hourly, um, they really appreciate having a flat predictable price because what they typically have is some kind of marketing monthly budget, um, depending on who we're engaged with at what level of the organization, it might be the total marketing budget and they're controlling what goes where, or it's somebody whose title is like content marketing manager or something. And so they have a content budget and for them, what we're doing is very predictable. They can look at it and say, okay, um, I have, you know, $3,000 a month to spend. So I can either get your turnkey offering or I could do like six a la carte blog posts. So they're really able to think through what they're getting on their site um, for their spend. If we were doing things on an hourly basis, their question would be, uh, you know, what do I get on my site each month for the spend? And I would have to come back and say, well, I don't know. It depends how slow our writers are. <laughs> right. Okay, so so to switch it back to the monkey wrench you mentioned before the show, so it, you you described it as a monkey wrench when uh, an author wants to be paid by the hour or a contractor wants to be paid by the hour. Yeah, what's what's that mean? Can you explain that? Um, so occasionally, usually the conversation comes up like this if it's with an author, and and I genuinely sympathize where they'll say something like, "Oh, you're going to pay two hundred dollars for this blog post," but I mean. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not the fastest writer. That's going to take me, um, you know, call it six hours. So uh, what would that be like 33 bucks an hour or something? So, mm. so they kind of put it out to me that way and say like, I could make more money, um, you know, moonlighting as an engineer. Mm. And my response to that is, is, is to agree and say, yeah, you know, if, if it's going to take you six hours to write a $200 blog post, you know, this might not be at least initially the thing for you. Like you would probably especially if you're worried about what your effective hourly rate is, get more efficient at writing blog posts. Right. And I don't mean to sound cynical about it, but like I write blog posts prolifically. So when I started, um, I think with my earliest clients, I just asked for something like a hundred dollars a blog post and I would write those posts in like 40 minutes. So mm -hmm. even then, if I was concerned about hourly rate, it was pretty good, right. but it really runs the gamut. You know, some of the authors are like me and they say, sure, I can pop off a blog post about a topic I know in 40 minutes or so. And others, it takes a really long time as the business provider though. That's not really interesting to me. I mean, like, you know, I don't want anyone laboring for an eight hour day for a hundred dollars or something. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but like th that becomes a question of fit more than like what we're paying. There's nothing wrong with the pay. It just only makes sense for you to do it if it's, you know, efficient for you. Right. So like, like 
let that sink in listener. Like the, the, the people who, so to Eric, it's other than sort of humanitarian <laughs> concerns, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really matter to you if someone's fast or slow. In fact, it's better if they're fast. If like you take money out of the picture, it's better if they're fast, presumably because someone who is taking six weeks to write a blog post is going to mess up your schedule. So if it was, you know, or sometime maybe even out, you know, two days or something like, cause you're going to want the stuff as quickly as possible. Right. So you can pass it off to the editor and QA mm-hmm. and the sooner the better. So if the, if you're paying the authors a flat rate and the client's playing, paying you a flat rate and everybody's good at their piece, the better they get at their piece, the more profit they keep. So in other words, the less time it takes them. So the faster everyone gets while still delivering a high level of quality, the faster everyone gets, the more money they make because their costs are lower because your cost is your time. So when it's, it's perfect when the client and you as sort of the middleman or the, the vendor or the business partner, and then the, your contractors, if everybody's doing fixed, it gives you, it gives the business owner in the middle, all kinds of control and visibility into, uh, pricing and profitability. It's just all of a sudden you've, you can have, you can put together a strategy to increase your profits without potentially without even getting more clients. It's just like, okay, let's optimize. It, it becomes reasonable to optimize things. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to, uh, to get faster. If you're getting paid by the hour, I always say like, why would you ever upgrade your computer? If you're getting paid by the hour, the slower, the better, you know, like fine from yeah. a financial standpoint, why would you spend 3000 bucks to get a screaming fast computer to say, you know, process your, your video production files faster. If you do video production or to compile your code faster, it, it, it's not, it doesn't make sense. And they could argue, well, it wouldn't be fair to use a slow computer for that because that, you know, they shouldn't have to pay for that. And my response to that is, well, you've been using that slow computer for three years. So was that all unfair? <laughs> you know, it's like, there's just no way to make it make sense. And, you know, until you kind of get everybody working in the same model. So it's interesting how I, I love that you described it as a monkey wrench when, when one of the contractors is like, well, no, I want to get paid by the hour because I'm slow. So it's yeah. like, well, maybe, maybe you should come back to me when you're faster, you know? Like, right. So it does raise the question of quality though, because the, the, the flip side of switching from uh, hourly or at some time-based, short time-based uh, rate over to a fixed price. And so far we've been talking about you uh, hit subscribe giving deliverables. We haven't talked much about outcomes, so I want to get to that. But for the time being, we're just talking about deliverables. So we said we would do this many blog posts in this month, and here they are. Uh, there, There's the... A lot of clients, when they hear this, will be like, well, they're going to cut corners because th- th- this is all the money. So they're not going to do a good job necessarily. They're going to do this fast as they can and quality will suffer. But, you know, you mentioned you have QA people. So can you talk about how you maintain, how you actually maintain quality in your mind and also how you project that to the clients so they don't fear that you're going to be cutting corners? Sure. Um The easiest one to answer is the corner cutting question for the client. So like, I don't know what this is going to eventually mean to your audience, but 
that actually doesn't come up. Like I can't think of ever receiving an objection from a client where they're saying, well, if we're paying you a flat price, how do we know you're not going to cut corners? Now, maybe this is because, you know, it's a good faith assumption that we won't, or maybe it's because we, you know, talk in the sales uh, call about having a quality assurance process. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that just hasn't really seemed to be a concern for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because they're in a position with, with the deliverable being blog posts, whether they're in marketing or engineering or whatever, they can look for themselves. Yeah. That's what I was Um, thinking too. So they don't worry too much about that in terms of how we maintain quality internally. Um, I can't really think of it ever coming to my attention that people are cutting corners, you know, whether they're authors or editors or anyone else, um, because it's a flat rate. So they just want to get through it faster. Now, this isn't to say it hasn't historically happened, but it's never been brought to my attention. Hmm. Um, well, what do the QA people do if, if that the editors don't do? So the editors, uh, the way this process works is we're going out and finding engineers based on their technical acumen and knowledge. What we're not really basing um, uh, our decision to engage with them on is like their command of the English language. So there's a lot of variance in, uh, I guess, their um, level of comfort with English. So we get some ESL authors that are very knowledgeable, but they're mm-hmm. going to need more editorial work. Um, and then we get some, you know, pretty polished writers in. So it runs the gamut. Editorial is there to kind of bring that all up to a consistent standard of English. English and to make sure there aren't like grammar and spelling mistakes. Then it goes over to QA and QA's job is to make sure that the post is fit for purpose. So if it's a post that's designed to bring in organic traffic, you know, have we optimized for the keyword? Each one of our posts gets a mission, we call it, meaning who's going to read this post and what do you want them to do? Like, do you want them to click on a call to action or do you want them, you know, whatever it may be? Uh, Each post has a mission. QA is also making sure that the post as written fulfills the mission. Um, and then there's checks in their sanity checks. Like does somebody throw in a link to one of the client's competitors did, um, <laughs> you know, you know, is there like un- inappropriate language in there or what have you? So it's a general sanity check um, as well as fitness for purpose. So to That's some extent great. editorial and QA are both a guard against an author cutting corners. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, even if, even if the cutting corners thing is in, inadvertent, um, but that's the, so I think you're right. I think because the client probably feels like, well, we can just read it and see if it's bad <laughs> where if yeah. someone was, you know, maybe a, uh, someone who's doing the electrical work on your house or coding a rails app for you and you're not, you know, you can't just look at it and know whether it's good or bad, then it's probably, probably in situations like that, it is a little bit more you know, looms a little bit larger for folks who clients who don't feel like they have any way to check your work. Yeah. So it is a double edged sword. I mean, the fact (laughs) that anybody can read a blog post and have opinions about it probably makes it easier for me to assure them we're not cutting corners, but it does get, um, you know, we've had instances where prospects or clients have somebody working there that maybe thinks they're better at editing than they are and actually edit mistakes into the posts or something. So, you know, it kind of cuts both ways. We don't get the quality uh, worry uh, typically. Okay. So I I absolutely love that uh, you mentioned the mission of each post. I I just, I I found the exact same thing. Anytime uh, I read a lot also, and anytime you write something, I, I find it's, it's not just, um, smart from a 
kind of transactional business perspective, it's just easier to write, I find, if you know why you're writing. So, you know, and, and uh, it's easier to know what to say if you know who you're writing for and what you want them to do. In fact, I give the exact same advice to people that are asking me about, you know, there's, I'm going to put together this talk, you know, I'm going to do this, this conference talk and have a, a lot of people who are new to that have a tendency to want to teach the audience absolutely everything they know about their subject because they're really excited and they just, they're, they want to light the world on fire with, you know, whatever this new thing is that they're into. But they've got, you know, 45 minutes and, uh, you know, maybe 10 minutes of Q&A tops in most cases. So it's like, well, I would say just focus down on what's the one thing you want the audience to do when they're done and that what's the transformation mm-hmm. is it going to an action that they're going to take is it going to be uh, for them to share your slides to download your slides to uh, to go out and give change to a homeless guy like what what's the thing you want them to do what's the purpose of the talk what do you want the how do you want to transform the audience what are you going to change in the mind you want something to happen and uh, if you do that you find that you it's much just easier to write because you can throw out all the stuff that's not going to, that you're pretty sure is not going to achieve that goal and just focus yeah. down, kind of triple down on the stuff that is going to do that. So that's, it, it's uh, interesting that we've never talked about this before and yet we do the exact same thing uh, when it comes to a piece. <laughs> so I do want to bring that, I think that's a good segue into customer satisfaction. So uh, providing business outcomes. I mean, if there's somebody's paying you a few grand a month to blog for them at some point, you know, their CFO is going to look at this expense and say like, what, what are we getting out of this? So how, what are the sort of results that you can point to? Maybe it's, maybe you have testimonials or case studies or, uh, or maybe the client is just for strategic reasons. They've decided that they're going to blog, but they don't want to make an investment in an internal team. Like when, what, if those conversations ever come up, what do they look like? What are the things that you can point to or the client can point to and say, yeah, this was money well spent. We want to keep spending it. In the blogging world. Um, and I don't know if it's just the specific vertical that we're in or, or just in general, but like proving ROI on, on running a blog regularly is kind of like the Holy grail. It's really hard for anyone to do just because there's so many moving parts. So if you build the world's best marketing funnel, you're getting in a ton of traffic. Um, that traffic is active on your site. They like what you're doing. They're converting at a high rate on your download. It could still be frankly that your product isn't very good. And then right. all the marketing and, and funnel in the world isn't going to make a difference. Um, and I don't say that to, you know, throw blame at the client. There's all kinds of places where it can break down. So it gets really hard to, um, to in any given situation, like project or speak to ROI. But that doesn't mean I don't actively try pretty regularly. We have a number of case studies that when we're planning um, client organic traffic that we can point to, and, and we get a hockey stick of organic traffic growth. So that's something mm-hmm. I can say pretty confidently. If you hand us the keys to your blog, I can't promise ROI, but I can promise that if you stick with us for a year or two, we will realize some pretty significant growth, especially in year two, uh, with the number of people coming to your site, for instance. And that's an easy one because I just have these anonymized you know, Google Analytics graphs that I can point to from past clients. Mm-hmm. We've also done a really interesting thing. I mean, I find it really interesting, but that's a little... I guess weird because I also was the one that came up with it, but like uh, I thought it was an interesting experiment where 
about a year ago, I, I put together this site that I called makemeaprogrammer.com. And um, I wanted to isolate as many variables as I could because this is a big thing that you'll get into conversations with when it comes to a blog. Like, oh, okay, you know, we are seeing that our sales are up or our downloads are up, but how do we know it's your blog post and, and not, you know, our active campaign on social media or all these other things? So I said, okay, let's try this where we'll build this site and I'll just, you know, I don't know, maybe we, the author pool, me, whoever will write like 50 articles and we'll see if we can bring in a lot of traffic and like hustle affiliate links through the site and, you know, knock out as many of these other possibilities as possible. So I built the site in 20 minutes. It was just, you know, soup to nuts. Like I just had a default WordPress on a hosted thing. I picked some free theme that's meh. Um, <laughs> And, and we never promote, we didn't do anything with it. All we did was plan um, very strategically what blog posts we would write and mm -hmm. then write the posts. Now, I was overly ambitious in getting to 50. We did a total of 13 articles over the course of six months, mm -hmm. but we still saw the hockey stick. Um, so at this point, that site with only 13 articles ever, no promotion, no regular following is getting over 2000 visitors a month. So <laughs> when I go and I point to that and I say, look, you know, we built this, um, and, and it's making like a few bucks here and there on affiliate links. But, um, that is, I think the most interesting thing to point to and say, this can work mm -hmm. in a vacuum. Um, so I, I guess to summarize, when it comes to having a value conversation with clients, it's really about like trying to point at past data and say, here's what's possible. Let's discuss this in your situation. Um, and kind of drilling into what might be different for them. Like if they're an agency, like an app dev agency that's selling, um, you know, seven figure contracts, the end of that marketing funnel is a phone call. Yeah. And then there's like stuff that we can't really trace after that versus if they're selling, you know, something that someone could buy out of pocket for like $29 a month, it's a different looking funnel. But in either case, we can bring you organic traffic. Let's talk about specifically what's going to happen from there. Yeah, I think that's perfectly valid. I mean, it, it might not be bottom line ROI, like a tangible revenue increase. But you, you know, you're not at that point in the funnel, like you can't, there's too many things can go wrong after that. But I think it's perfectly valid to say to, to a client, look, I can't control any of that the downstream stuff. But I can, you know, you've, you've, as much as said, you can guarantee more organic traffic. So if you dear client believe that more organic traffic is going to uh, do something for your bottom line, then we can give you more organic traffic, but we can, you right. know, and that if like, if you didn't, if you weren't able to do that, I'm sure you'd be pretty disappointed. Like if the plan was client comes along and you know, more organic traffic and it didn't happen, I'm sure you'd be really like, this is weird. Like what's going on? Yeah. You know, it seems, seems like you can, you know, you feel confident that you can reliably deliver, you know, you said hockey stick a couple of times. So if I'm looking at my, uh, if, if I'm looking at my website and I'm like, huh, you know, my, my conversion rate is great. My prices are, you know, I've got a range of prices, some in the, you know, buy now button and uh, on one end and other things on the phone call on the other end, like you said, and I'm just like, but my traffic's been, you know, my conversion rates are great all across the spectrum, but my traffic has just been flat for three years or whatever. If you get, mm -hmm. if you have someone like that, then it seems like kind of a no brainer that, uh, you know, and if you came along and were like, Hey, you know, we can definitely double your traffic in six months. Like, you know, if you looked at the site or whatever and be like, yeah, we could definitely double the traffic in six months. That's going to be really interesting to somebody who's got the other 
the downstream stuff kind of dialed in, you know, where they do know that the product, like yeah. when people find out about the product, people like the product. So it's like, oh, okay. I feel like that's yeah. totally valid to say, you know, we can't promise we can't promise direct increase in revenue, but if you believe that more organic traffic will do that for you, then we should talk. And what you were saying there made me realize too that I've sort of naturally developed uh, a sense for a couple of things. Number one, we've had a few um, cases where things haven't been as successful, and I've learned to identify the reason that those were different. So, for instance, um, we've had situations where people had a long established site and things they had done that were really hurting them from a technical SEO perspective. And so they didn't realize the same kind of growth, but they were swimming upstream when we engaged with them. And so now I know what that looks like. Uh, and with a client where we were engaging and they were asking, you know, oh, what do you think are our prospects or how much can we grow? Um, I do a lot of like health checks and say, well, you have some things working against you, so we might want to manage expectations or you might want to remediate these things. Right. Um, and then I've also learned, like you talked about, if if a client had the bottom of the funnel stuff on lockdown, um, that's a natural fit. I've also learned to kind of, to some degree, gauge how much their content marketing game is on point. Um, so if, you know, for instance, I'm talking to a client, maybe one of the bigger indicators is if I say like, what are your KPIs or goals um, in, in terms of having a blog? And they start to say things like, well, I want to build authority or uh, <laughs> we want to produce quality content. That's a flag to me because I say yeah. you, a lot of times that coincides and, you know, I don't mean to paint with a bad brush or whatever, but that coincides with like maybe a founder that views the blog as kind of a vanity thing. Right. Like we want to have this content that makes us look good. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's a flag for two reasons. Number one, you're not going to be able to point to some financial outcome in a couple of years of looking good. And number two, um, usually those types of clients really want to be in the weeds on every blog post, you yes. know, <laughs> futzing with every word. And we actually disengage with clients like that just because um, that turns our author pool into copywriters instead of just, you know, side hustling engineers that are having some fun. Yeah. And everybody's willingness to write for that client dries up. So we've just said like, look, you know, this isn't really the way we work. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, this conversation about their outcomes and business goals and stuff. I'm realizing that it's led to a lot of, um, me learning and then being able to apply to future conversations to say, where are we likely to be able to deliver results? Even if I can't exactly quantify the end result, where is this, you know, hockey stick of organic traffic growth likely to work well? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Those, and those are, you know, that's your ideal buyer that I talk about on the show a lot. It's like, it's like, yeah, you could do whatever. You can do software development for anybody, anybody that needs software built. But there's an ideal buyer. There's an there's a buyer who's going to, you know, for many reasons, because they're a good personality fit. They have the same communication style. They have the same worldview. They all these things. Uh, but also, uh, an ideal buyer is someone who's going to maximally benefit from the particular thing that you do. So if you have two people who you totally click with and one of them is going to have an, an amazing outcome from what you do and the other one is going to be like, eh, so-so outcome, the so-so the one is not your ideal client. The, the one that's going to like have a huge, the one that you can hit a huge home run for, whether it's delivering something really far upstream like brand strategy, super far upstream, 
or if it's something way downstream, like fixing a, you know, leaky funnel, like a funnel that's leaking way at the bottom, like your, your cart abandonment rate's really high or something like that. It's like, and I, not everyone is going to be your ideal buyer or your ideal client. So what, yeah, what you just, so what Eric's describing here is like some of the characteristics that it sounds like you just intuited, you know, it's like subliminal almost, <laughs> you just kind of automatically gravitate to people for whom you can deliver results that probably will turn into uh, a bottom line increase. Yeah. I mean, we've been trying to document kind of who our ideal buyer is and it's been evolving over time, but I think of it this way, like I used to say this back in my consulting travels too, if I was considering taking a project, like I don't want blood money. Mm. I don't want to engage where I just take money to do something stupid that's not going to move any needles. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of that's because I like to think of myself as an ethical human being and all that, but it's also, that's not going to be, you know, a nice testimonial for you later. Uh, yeah. It's not going to be a success story you can point to. It's just going to be, you know it's kind of vampiric. Uh, and so <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's short term thinking. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, I want to point to a past book of business or past and present book of business, um, where it's all these people that I could introduce you to and say, um, you know, these people will speak well of us cause they liked engaging with us. Yes. Yes. My, one of my other, uh, one of my students used to say, uh, you will know us by the trail of smiling clients. Which I always loved. <laughs> That's um, a great turn of phrase. Yeah, it's uh, it's and it's a reference to uh, you'll know us by the trail of dead, but uh, <laughs> it's just a little bit more positive. Um, okay, so this has been fabulous. Um, I know we both have to move on. So, what? Where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, you said you're a prolific blogger. You know, maybe people are interested and hit subscribe. Uh, so, where should people go? Um, so to follow me and I still write about software and stuff like that, I have my site deadtech.com, which is D A E D T E C H.com. And then hit subscribe is just at hitsubscribe.com. And if anybody out there is, um, you know, interested in a side hustle, like in the engineering sort of world, we do take on writers pretty regularly. We have a, a large pool of freelance authors, um, and we have opportunities, First and foremost, like for writing blog posts, but uh, within our pool, we're doing these webinars, uh, YouTube videos. And then we have some partners that are looking through us to source things like uh, consulting, uh, training, uh, course creation. So there are some kind of bigger fish opportunities in there, too, for any anybody that might be interested. Cool. That sounds like a good fit. Um, I'm trying to think of, so hitsubscribe.com is a great starting place. If you just wanted to get in touch with us, there's a, you know, an apply to be an author and apply to be a client. Um, and that email comes through and I will see it, uh, in, in the case of apply to be a client anyway. Um, mm. so there are ways there to contact us. I probably should do a little more homework for like a general way. Like here's how to get a hold of me through hit subscribe. But if you go to my other site, dead tech, and, um, that has like an, an ask me a question and, and all kinds of widgets to get in touch with me there. I also get those uh, a lot more directly because dead tech is just my consulting brand. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so anybody, please feel free to reach out to me through dead tech. Fabulous. That's great. All right, Eric. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm Jonathan Stark, and this is Ditching Hourly. See you next time. Hey, Jonathan again. The next time someone asks for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. 
Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.